0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: We're going to talk about the massive earthquake that destroyed cities in Turkey and Syria, killing tens of thousands and sending two countries into chaos. A Washington Post reporter will give us a sense of the situation in Syria and Turkey, very different nations that will have divergent needs going forward. And then we'll talk with two Michiganders about what the crisis means locally, given the region's profound ties to Syria and its people. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR.
2: Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History.
1: And welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. Last week, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck southern Turkey and northern Syria, flattening multiple city blocks. Notably, this earthquake had an unusually large 7.4 magnitude aftershock. And the combination of those two sent a region which is already dealing with a significant refugee crisis into much further turmoil. To date, the death toll in these two countries has surpassed 40,000 people between the two countries. I'm going to say that again. 40,000 people lost their lives in the wake of this earthquake. Thousands of buildings, of course, were destroyed As well, and that leaves hundreds of thousands of people without shelter at a time of year where temperatures often dip below freezing. It is winter there as it is here. This is a devastating tragedy that also has really local implications. Over the past decade, Michigan has had one of the highest Syrian refugee populations in the United States. These deep ties with the region follow more than a decade of civil war in Syria, where in March of 2011, pro-democracy demonstrations erupted in the country against President Bashar al-Assad, who launched a crackdown to crush the dissent of what he called foreign-backed terrorism. The unfortunate tragedy of the earthquake and the response has highlighted a lot of the difficulties that, People face in that region, a high concentration of old buildings in both countries, as well as possible corruption and lack of oversight in new constructions, all of these things may have contributed to the high loss of life. Meanwhile, instability in the region complicates efforts to get aid and assistance to people who desperately need it right now. And still, communities grieve about the unthinkable loss of life here. The concerns for those whose lives are left in shambles and concern for how to best help those who need it the most right now. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with a couple of Michiganders who have ties to Islamic communities in Turkey and in Syria to learn about what's happening with folks in the area how it's affecting us here in Michigan, and the efforts to assist people in those countries as they try to recover from this tragedy. But first today, we're joined by Ishan Tharoor, who is a columnist on the Foreign Desk at The Washington Post. Uh, he's going to catch us up on where we are in the aftermath of this unthinkable uh, earthquake. Uh, Ishan Tharoor, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thanks for having me. Good to be with you.
1: So, uh, tell us what the latest we know is from Syria and Turkey. It seems every time I go back and look at cable news, uh, the numbers are bigger and worse than they were before.
3: Yeah, the death toll, as you said, is, is quite staggering. This is in Turkish in Turkey's modern history, the worst earthquake uh, the region has seen, um, and and this is something that you know had it hit anywhere in the world you'd be talking about a significant loss of life and, and and great suffering. But it's particularly intensified in the region where, as you said uh, exactly, um, there's a lot of shoddy construction codes on the Turkish side. There's there's all sorts of inquiries now happening over over the extent to which these cities that have existed on a very well-known fault line and set of fault lines, really, um, where these weren't earthquake-ready or they were not given the necessary funds, or those funds were diverted for other other purposes, um, it's been, unfortunately, very politicized uh, and, and probably necessarily politicized. Uh, and then, of course, on the other side of the border in Syria, the earthquake hit areas that are controlled by the regime and the earthquake hit areas that are not controlled by the regime. In northwest Syria, you have essentially what is the last pocket of the rebellion in Idlib province. And... Uh, over the last basically half a decade decade um the province has been at the whim of the assad regime in syria where uh, it basically through the u.n and through the u.n's uh, kind of uh, acquiescence uh, has really weaponized flows of aid into that region there are millions of people who live there who are displaced from the war and so if you think about the kind of double triple calamity suffered by these communities you know they've gone through hell over the last 10 years. They've gone through uh, conflict, displacement, uh, constant uh, Russian bombing campaigns, and then uh, now you have this, where you've seen whole towns in parts of Syria and northern Syria uh, leveled, and they, hadn't, they didn't receive any help for days. And so you've these horrifying stories of uh, communities and families trying to dig out their relatives with their bare hands because there was no equipment, mm-hmm. none of the necessary equipment you need to uh, to do that. And so, um while uh Turkey you know at this point we don't expect the numbers to rise that much more in Turkey, but the numbers could rise significantly in Syria still, and that's testament to just how uh benighted and and troubled this region is
1: yes so so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. The two countries that are involved here, they are very different um, in the way that they operate and in the, the the way that they might have been prepared for this. Uh, you know, Turkey is a, a parliamentary republic, uh, a, a democracy of, of, of a kind in, in the region, um, and I think is thought of as... Uh, a functioning democracy, a, a, a kind of place where um, you know where standards and codes uh, can be, uh, you know, documented and upheld and enforced. Um, and and Syria is, is of course a very different uh, nation. Uh, you know, it's a dictatorship, really, and and uh, is well known for government dysfunction. Uh, Looking at the pictures and the video coming from the region, it doesn't seem as though there is much difference between what happened in one country and what happened in another. I mean, the devastation seems to be uh, equal. And and so I think one of the questions is whether, uh, whether the difference in kind of the, the functions of government in the two countries didn't matter because the earthquake was – so strong, uh, or whether there aren't as many significant differences in the way that the governments function in those countries and, and that both may have been uh, leaving the, their populations uh, in a really precarious position. I guess I, I guess I don't know the answer, which one is true or whether it's a mix of them.
3: I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, there are, especially when you're watching on TV – uh, it does seem all, all quite equal. You know, the rubble is rubble <laughs> wherever you look at it. Mm-hmm. Desperation and suffering is the same, um, and to, to that extent, you could say the earthquake is a great leveler, which is a hideous pun. But, but I think there are some key differences. You know, Erdogan, the wretched tire Erdogan, the Turkish president, who, of course, many people see as his critics see as a would-be autocrat and dictator as well. Um, he uh, is facing a major election in June. Well, mm-hmm. we think they're going to hold elections in June. We don't know if he may invoke emergency reasons to postpone these elections. Uh, he was on the ground in earthquake hit areas immediately, all like, well, very quickly. Uh, he is, uh, has mobilized a considerable, uh, national response. Um, he has, of course, uh, welcomed international help. Uh, and, and, you know, you have tens of thousands of public and private groups uh, agencies, uh, pouring in relief work and efforts through the region. And of course, you know, parts of Turkey are probably the worst hit. You know, there's certain cities in Turkey that have been, that were really much closer to the epicenter than parts of Syria. And, and um, so the damage in Turkey is astonishing, partially because it was closer to the epicenter of these, these quakes. Um, in Syria, you have Syrian Bush, President Bashar al-Assad. He really dragged his feet. He, um, you know, he, it took a whole, more than a week. For him to say okay fine uh we give you the u.n permission to come across the border with turkey at various checkpoints um, with more aid for these rebel-held areas it took him more than a week to allow that to happen and so while he can say look i'm making this gesture to these rebels uh you know by the time a lot of aid comes to these parts of the country uh people have already died Mm -hmm. and they've been trapped in the rebel for days uh he has now for the first time, he can do photo, you know, photo shoots in front of uh, devastation in his country, and it's not the result of his own bombing. Uh, and, and, so he's gone around to Aleppo and some other places, cities that he really, that his regime pummeled, uh, during the civil war, uh, and is, is casting himself as, uh, as you know somebody who's uh, coming to save the day and I, I do think that there is a lot of reasons to be cynical about the way he's posturing himself Posturing right now yeah. there are a lot of uh, critics of the assad regime who think that here is a moment where uh syria well, well the syrian regime um that, that, that it, it can exploit it to uh further kind of bring itself out from the cold of course it's been you know, shunned by much of the international community, even from many of its Arab neighbors for the last decade. And that is now changing. And that has, there's been a slow process of that normalization happening. And this tragedy may accelerate that process. And so critics of those of you are very worried about that. I would say that, um, you know, what we're seeing on the Turkish side uh, is horrendous. and and, and, I, and But it is also uh, going to shadow uh, Turkey's very complicated politics uh, in the months to come. Turkey is a democracy, but it's a very troubled democracy. It's one where Erdogan uh, has basically been in power for two decades uh, by hook or by crook at this point. He has bent the electoral and political system to his will. He's changed from a parliamentary system to a presidential system. Uh, he's you know, constantly playing politics uh, in terms of you know, weaponizing what he can in his party's favor to maintain his majority. And now you have uh, his and his him and his supporters saying, "Oh, you guys should stop playing politics. We're in the middle of a disaster." But um, there is a very loud political debate happening in Turkey over why, why so many people died. And part of Erdogan's legacy of the last twenty years is he presided over a huge and, to you know, a certain extent, kind of frenzied construction boom across the country. Mm-hmm. And now it, it does seem quite clear that in many cases, especially in this part of southern Turkey. Um, a lot of recent constructions were not done in the proper ways and not done according to code, and that is uh, probably, that raises questions about corruption around shoddy governance and around a culture uh, uh, that surrounded the construction industry that sort of assumed that because the president wants, you know, booming cities and and, and big projects, uh, we can cut corners. And so there is an obvious political dimension to this that that cannot be ignored.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm talking uh, about the massive earthquake in Syria and Turkey last week, uh, the unbelievable loss of life, the extensive damage that was done to cities in in both Turkey and in Syria. Uh, Our guest right now is Ishan Theror. He's a columnist on the Foreign Desk at the Washington Post. Uh, He writes the Today's Worldview newsletter and column. Uh, He has been writing about what has happened uh, in these two in these two countries, and what will happen as relief efforts uh, really ramp up. We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Uh, Give us a call and let us know what you're thinking about the devastation that people are experiencing in Turkey or Syria. Of course, this is a part of the world with pretty close ties uh, to Syria. Lots of people here have family there. Either uh, they came here, Uh, or maybe uh, your parents or your grandparents uh, came here from Syria. Uh, Lots of Syrian refugees also uh, here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, Let us know how you're communicating with family or friends you might have living in Syria or in Turkey. Uh, What can you tell us about what's happening with them. Uh, Are they thinking about leaving? Are they trying to leave? Um, uh, What do you make of the absolutely, really mind-blowing video and pictures out of the region of the devastation from uh, this earthquake? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag DetroitToday, and we can include your comments in the program that way. Um, Sean, before uh, we get to our listeners, I, I want to talk a little about the U.S. response to this uh, to this disaster. Uh, that's also, of course, uh, caught up in a little bit of of politics and, of course, uncertainty inspired by uh, the politics in in the region. Uh, where are we with with the U.S. role in the in the relief effort?
3: Well, obviously, the U.S., like a lot of other Western governments, are sent rescue teams. It sent uh, a considerable amount of aid. Um, <clears throat> uh, the important uh, thing that happened in last week was that the U.S. Uh, moved to relax. Certain controls of uh, regarding its sanctions on Syria, right? So, uh, right now there's significant U.S. sanctions on Syria on the Assad regime, but it, it, it created a mechanism by which, uh, you know, transactions related to earthquake relief receive a kind of humanitarian waiver, and that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, the U.S. doing that uh, allows for uh, more aid to directly go into Syria. It's it's it kind of had a corollary effect where it strengthened the Syrian currency, the Syrian pound. Uh, so that was a pretty important move. Um, there are people, there are plenty of analysts here in D.C. who are worried about um, this increased flow of aid coming into the country that may uh, get siphoned off by the Assad regime in ways that are not, you know, and then diverted from communities that actually need this relief. So there are concerns about that too, and that is probably. The bigger question is, you know, what? How do we reckon with uh, this regime uh, in Syria, which has brutalized, especially the the population in northwest Syria, and um, and you know, what leverage do we have over it? And mm-hmm. at this point, uh, the importance is, you know, relief. The importance is a humanitarian one. It's a concern that we all share for people there who are enduring a pretty hideous uh, tragedy. And um, but at the same time, you know the Assad regime is the Assad regime, and it's been, uh, it's more or less uh, consolidated its position and is strengthening itself um, in, in this moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I want to thank Ishan Thoror of The Washington Post for being here with us to give us a sense of the overall picture in Syria and Turkey. It was really great to have you here. Um, when we come back, we are going to talk with Dr. M. Ross, who is president of the Syrian American Medical Society, a global medical relief organization that's working on the front lines of crisis uh, in Syria. Uh, We're going to turn the lens more locally as well and talk about uh, the ties that we have in Southeast Michigan to this region. Uh, We're going to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Give us a call. Let us know what you make of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Let us know if you're someone who comes from that region or has family still in that region? Uh, what are you making of their fate uh, right now? What, what do you know about what they are enduring as the relief efforts get going? 313 1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 1019 You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
2: Bringing you news that matters.
1: Stories that impact your life.
2: Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station.
1: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. As I mentioned earlier, Michigan has one of the largest Syrian refugee populations in our country, as well as a large Islamic population that uh, is directly affected by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. has led many from our area to go to the region in an effort to assist the recovery, including our next guest, who has spent time on the ground in Syria. Amjad Ross is the president of the Syrian American Medical Society, which is a global medical relief organization working on the front lines of crisis relief in Syria. Dr. Ross, welcome to Detroit today.
4: Good morning. Thank you for having me this
1: morning. Thanks for joining us. So, uh, let's talk about you going to Syria after the earthquake. Tell us what the situation on the ground looks like in person.
4: It's beyond uh, imagination. Uh, our organization uh, have dealt with many disasters in Syria, from chemical attacks to, to massive uh, uh, military operation that resulted in destruction of areas, villages and towns. And, but this is, this is beyond what we've seen. Uh, and it's, people are on the streets, talking about the, the area, I mean Northwest Syria. So uh, Syrians are on the street looking for shelter. Destroyed uh, uh, buildings in many many towns, and uh, uh, some are digging for their their loved ones from, uh, from under uh, rubbles. And uh, first first responders trying to to keep up with with the demands. Uh, medical teams are everywhere uh, in all hospitals, on the street, and ambulances trying to save lives. It, uh, and and what I witnessed was still uh, like three days after the disaster, after the earthquake, when I when I was able to get in, travel from Detroit all the way and get in. Uh, it it is, it is it is really something I wish I never saw in my life.
1: Wow, wow. Um, can you talk about your own ties to the region and and what brings you uh, to the work that you're that you're trying to do there?
4: Well, um, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Syria, and in the city of Hama. Uh, I, uh, in my young age, I witnessed the, the massacres of Hama, 1982. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I finished my medical school, came to the to uh, Michigan uh, in the uh, 1991, and uh, did my training at uh, Michigan State, uh, and uh, moved on to uh, to uh, Ohio. Came back. I mean uh when when the when the conflict erupted in uh, in Syria uh, uh, we activated the uh, humanitarian charity arm of the organization that that is the Syrian American Medical Society Sams and we started uh, uh, de- delivering medical aids to Syrians where we can where we where we are allowed to work and this is a very important term uh, so uh, from that point on, late, nine, late 2011, we go to, to, uh, to from just like tens of thousands of dollars to $40 million uh, a year uh, organization with large membership, large large uh, support, large base of supporters and uh, and uh, uh, a lot of beneficiaries. Uh, I'm, I hate to, I mean, I'm not remarketing my organization here, but uh, just to answer your question, we... We are the leader of healthcare uh, uh, in northwest Syria. We, del- we deliver six thousand medical service a day in northwest Syria alone, and we also work in other areas like Turkey, uh, Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, Greece, uh, and we respond to some of the, of the uh, other disasters uh, as, it, as it comes. But really, my our our focus more uh, Syria and surrounding areas. Uh- yeah so a lot of us are volunteers, including myself. this is not a career for me it's a passion
1: so so yeah. so uh I'm curious about whether you have family who are still in the region and and what you're hearing or seeing from them about uh, the effects of this.
4: Yeah, my family are not in the northwest Syria. They have been affected uh, in a way. The the area where they live was affected by the uh, by the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of friends in northwest Syria, and uh, it, this is it's not only northwest. I mean, I keep using the term because we work there, but it's also other cities like Aleppo, Hama, uh, Latakia. Uh, they, we've seen death death in in those in those uh, big cities. Uh, so. Uh, uh but as you go, as you go north as you go the the, north, the, the more north you go the, the more the more destruction and the more uh uh dead you uh, uh you see yeah so um yes and turkey is even is even another story the the area like the city of hatay uh and uh, gaziantep and uh, marash and uh, many other uh, uh, Salahiyah and other thing, other other cities. It's just it's it is, it's beyond uh, describable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Dr. Amjad Ross. He is the president of the Syrian American Medical Society, which is a global medical relief organization working on the front lines of crisis relief in Syria. We're talking about the earthquake uh, that struck Syria and Turkey. Last week, the unbelievable devastation and loss of life that uh, was caused by that earthquake. Dr. Ross is among uh, the people who have gone to the region to try to help with relief efforts. Uh, We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. This is, of course, a a region that has deep ties to Syria in particular. But give us a call and let us know. Do you have family or friends who live in Syria or in Turkey uh, who have been affected by this earthquake? What stories can you share about what's happening in the region and uh, how is it affecting you here Uh, In Michigan. What do you wish people knew, maybe, about this tragedy that's not evident from uh, the news coverage that we've all been pretty riveted to for the past week? Uh, The number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can include you in the conversation that way. Dr. Ross, I want to talk about. Uh, the the regime of Bashar al-Assad and uh, how it is affecting the uh, the relief efforts. Do you have confidence that uh, that relief uh, can get through to the people who need it, given the complications of the region?
4: Well, if we get through, uh, when when there's a desire, when there's a will, there's a way. Okay, but there have been uh, uh, certainly a lot of delays, and uh, for many reasons. One of them is the the very limited uh, border crossing uh, coming from Turkey. This area is is in a way in partial besiegement uh, uh, due to the whatever development of uh, underground. But uh, so the only access to outside help would be through Turkey, and. and politicization of aid had been the the highlight from the get-go, from the beginning of this. So w- w- the UN uh, 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 aid delivery uh, uh, down to one border crossing. That's Babelhawa, and and the area in that and uh, there was heavily hit, infected by by the earthquake. So so the only lifeline. At the time, this is when the when uh, when the earthquake happened, was not a lifeline. The people who used to help us in, in in southern Turkey needed help, but and we could not get any other any other aid. So the the delay in opening the borders and other uh, other border crossing had caused the, the delays in rescue and operations and loss of lives. Interestingly, the, the, uh, the government in Damascus uh, uh, had agreed to open two more border crossing. We, do, we did not, again, we did not need the approval from Damascus to open border crossing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: This is under the emergency humanitarian mandate. Okay, so it's, just imagine, you, if some, something similar happened in, you, uh, in Ukraine and you have to go to Moscow to approve delivery of aid to Ukrainians, it's a very similar scenario what happened two days ago. So yes, it is all about politicization of AIDS, and it's all about the Russia and the veto power in in the UN Security Council. Mm-hmm. We have produced some uh, legal documents uh, using a, a reputable law firm in uh, in London, where we showed we clearly showed that we do not humanitarian aid delivery can be delivered and has been in the past without approval from the UN Security Council. But again. It's the the influence of some of the uh, countries like Russia on the on the mandate and uh, and on the UN operations.
1: Sure, sure. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here. Uh, Let's start with Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Stephen. I want to ask, what is the best direct way that we can benefit the affected individuals? Because my concern is that a lot of money, like even the Red Cross, the um, chief executives get big salaries, but the money doesn't go where it should. In addition to that, I want to mention that although we want to be helpful, having money is more practical than sending goods because of the logistics involved in shipping those goods. Hmm. Um, So those are my
1: Thought. Yeah, Bernadette, I really uh, appreciate the call and the questions and the information. Uh, uh, Dr. Ross, uh, address what, what, what Bernadette's uh, saying here about how people in this country, if they want to help, should choose to help to make sure that that help gets to the people.
4: Thank you, Bernadette, for this great question. Really, I, I, I admire the, the passion you have and, uh, and many, many other Americans have uh to uh, to help uh we've, we've been getting all kind of un- inquiries and all kind of supports it's, it is beyond uh what we expected but this this is a great country with great people uh, uh well the uh I, i'll suggest you look for the organization are present on the ground and there are so many uh uh of them that are registered here in, in the US. SAMS, Syrian American Medical Society is one of them. I, I'm not here to market my, my, our organization, but I'm here to help uh, to, to uh, have the voice of the people uh, inside Syria uh, uh, being heard here. Uh, there are a lot of uh, media outlet, academic centers, and, and humanitarian uh, bodies have put out list of trusted organizations. Uh, that you can donate to directly Sams is uh, what 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 we've had now with those lists Sams are either number one or number two but we're not the only ones so uh, uh, I suggest you do the search and uh, Syria Syrian forum is another one also American registered uh, organization uh, and uh, many others they do great job on on the uh, on the ground and we have partners with Syrian Forum uh, to deliver some of the aid that we cannot deliver, uh, like uh, shelter, uh, food, and uh, non-food items.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernadette, really, again, appreciate uh, the call and the questions. And, of course, your willingness to try to figure out how we, as uh, people in this country, can can help in this enormous crisis in that region. Uh, let's go next to Lee in Detroit. Lee, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I own a local bra store. And when I put out the need, uh, about what's going on, um, in Turkey, because one of our employees is from Turkey and she did lose three of her family members oh, wow. in one of the apartment building, com- um, disasters. Yeah. Disaster. Some people did get out because they didn't go back in the building. Um, but so they went to an aunt's house that was a safety home really for everyone. So they, they did contact me and said, um, we need underwear, which I specialize in. So I contacted my vendors, they said we can get hundreds of pairs of underwear. And then we contacted other vendors who said they can bring camis, they can get under silks, whatever they need to keep warm. And since they're shipping it from Europe, we got the address for my friend's aunt. Hmm and we're sending it directly. One of the things they said was a lot of the aid was getting left out in the rain because nobody knew where to deliver it, and it was getting ruined. So wow. what I can say is if you can find someplace local, you know, you can get an address, you can find someone who's traveling there mm-hmm. to get aid directly to people um, and check, check a lot of these aid um, organizations because some of them aren't real,
1: which is sad, really sad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lee, uh, really appreciate you calling in and sharing uh, that info. And, of course, uh, your your shop, Busted, is uh, one of the more familiar retail uh, places here in the city of Detroit, and you're doing uh, great stuff giving people opportunity in the, the different retail locations that, that you have. I really appreciate you calling uh, though, Dr. Ross, I, I uh, want to have you respond to what what Lee's saying about again yeah. how to how to give and and how to be really particular about giving. Yeah,
4: yeah. Actually, uh, uh, to to give to the people inside Turkey, there are a lot of venues, and I suggest you call the the uh, the embassy in Washington. They have a line for this, and they they collect containers, they ship them. Uh, the other thing is if you if anybody is traveling on Turkish Airlines. Uh, and you and he he or she wants to take more, like in terms of aids. Turkish airlines are not charging for extra bag. We have one traveler, uh, he, he he's inside Syria now traveled with thirteen big bags on Turkish airlines. Mm. They charge him nothing. so a lot a lot of uh, those we talk about gift in kind items. So a lot of organization are uh, reputable organization. Not, every, not, not everybody is taken just after money. But uh, uh, but I, for Turkey, uh, I suggest calling the uh, if you don't have any other means, calling the the, the uh, Turkish Embassy in uh, I, I wish I have the number and in, uh, uh, in uh, Washington uh, they have uh, they, ha- they have uh, uh, like. Uh, supply chain uh, uh going all the way there we are collecting for medical items and we take some brand new humanitarian items we're not taking used clothes uh, clothes here we are con- uh, we have containers going uh to syria we already delivered uh, two uh, shipments inside syria came from europe actually uh, a lot a lot of, of things going on and the need is even bigger than what what you uh what anybody can imagine, and yeah. and please, 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 a lot of data on the internet, a lot of help on the internet. Do the search, make sure the organizations are credible, make sure they have they have presence on the ground, and and see and and, and make your own judgment. Really, uh, you you rightly, uh, you you want the the aid to go to to the right hands and yes. and through the right hands.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, uh, Doctor Amjad Ross, it was really great to have you here. Uh, with us to talk about uh, relief efforts in Syria. Of course, we are uh, grateful to you and your organization for for what you're doing uh, in the region. Thanks so much for joining us here, though.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
1: When we come back, we are going to continue talking about this and be joined by a Dearborn resident who is also working on relief efforts in Syria. We'll also uh, continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. Call and tell us if you have ties to Turkey or to Syria What are you hearing from the folks you have ties to there about the aftermath of this massive earthquake and the relief efforts? Uh, We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined to continue our look into the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and how it's affecting not only that region, but also this region because we have so many people here who have ties. Uh, to Syria in particular uh, we're now joined by Abdul Rahman Al-Dahan who uh, works with Mercy USA uh, which is another relief organization that is really working uh, to try to figure out how to get aid to folks who are affected by the earthquake uh, Abdul Rahman welcome to Detroit today
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your ties to the region and and how things are uh, affecting you and your family and friends.
0: Yeah. Uh, First of all, I would like to say that this is a massive earthquake that has affected a lot of people, whether just the earthquake itself uh, on the ground or because of family and friends. And I have both. And I also have staff that are on the ground our organization mercy usa has actually been in the region since 2011 in turkey and i'm talking turkey to be precise we have around 40 um staff members that have all been affected this is besides family i'm speaking right now mm-hmm. those uh, 40 uh staff members all lost their homes uh, many of them are still looking for um, places to stay some of them have moved all around turkey Uh, to try to get situated with family and and friends. I have three um, staff members that lost their lives in Turkey and one in Syria. Um, This is besides my own family there that we were able to, uh, thankfully, uh after two days of being stranded in the parks we we were able to get to them and get them out uh we have missing family and and it's just tragic the words cannot describe what these people have went through and continue to go through especially the syrians that are in turkey and and uh, 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 internally displaced inside syria because they they went from tragedy to tragedy so on the ground the situation is horrible so this, this is this is what um, my my tie is to the region and, and how the earthquake is affecting me personally and and the people themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you feel like people here in Michigan who want to help, who want to? Help with the aid and relief should know uh, about what's going on there, and maybe something that that they they might not know uh, about how to do that and how to make sure that what they're doing is actually reaching the people who need it.
0: So the the, the issue right now is a lot of organizations have popped up that are um, essentially um, uh, raising funds and 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 um, trying to help with the effort the issue is with that is a lot of these organizations uh, sorry to say this don't really have a presence on the ground while we and other organizations that have been personally affected on the ground we have we have 600 staff inside syria and and they have all been affected and 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 despite all of that these staff are still working um so when when we have organizations that are coming and and taking away from the efforts that we can focus on while 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 being on the ground um it 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 becomes um it makes a a horrible situation worse so um i would say for everyone to to look into the organizations that you're you're donating to and i could say that since we have been on the ground since 2011 and our offices in syria have been running since 2012 and we we are major uh in in the region we 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 work with the unhcr with bha with uh, wfp along our own programs um and and we reach um thousands of people if not you know hundreds of thousands of people inside Mm -hmm. syria Mm -hmm. Um, inside turkey we're working right now coordinating with the government and seeing how we can be more effective. Um, we are currently distribu- distributing ready-to-eat meals. Um, we are distributing blankets, and we're working on uh, figuring out what, what next, um, as we assess the situation, what next um, uh, possible uh, delivery we can, we can do to help the people that are affected and that are in need.
1: Uh, again, three one three five seven seven. 1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, thank you. Good morning, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I, I uh, understand that our country, the U.S., has some, a lot of sanctions placed on Syria, and uh, I just think uh, it could be helpful if we uh, lifted those sanctions as mm. a country. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, that's not something that uh, I've heard a lot of people suggest uh, Anthony but that's an interesting it's an interesting suggestion um, uh, Abdul Rahman can you talk a little about the effect of sanctions on on Syria on, on getting relief to, to, to people and and uh, again the overall relationship between uh, the US and Syria which which has something to do with with all of this stuff and the effectiveness of, of efforts like yours. Yeah.
0: So I, uh, as a humanitarian aid worker, it's, it's difficult for me to speak on the um, political aspect of this. But what I can do tell you is that um, uh, the, government, um, the government of the Assad regime does not work directly in northern Syria. And that um, the, the northern Syria part, uh, the relief effort that is going there is going through Turkey. Um, and it, it took a while for the border to, because uh, the devastation was so strong that the Turkish um, regime was very busy with their own devastation. That it took a while to, for aid to start coming through, but the organizations that were already on the ground and had warehouses in place, re- uh, already distributing, were working uh, hard to continue doing that um, in the in the areas that the Assad regime is working. Um, that is. Um, that is something I'd, I'd rather not uh, touch on because it's it's um, it's uh, very political and it can cause a lot of um, you know Say. between people and and it's, it's something I'd rather not touch on as a humanitarian worker.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, can you give us a sense of what you think? Over the next few weeks or months will be some of the needs in this area. Obviously, right now, it's, it's really just about immediate relief for, for folks. But, but so many people have lost their homes. So many people uh, live in cities that are just not going to be able to, to rebuild quickly, if, if at all. What are some of the things that we should start thinking about that, uh, that people will need?
0: So I, I was in, in touch with our team, and I asked them that same question: What do you want the people in the U.S. to know, while I, in preparation for this um, interview, and I was told by by them to to remind everyone that this is a ripple effect. Yes, people right now are very. Um, motivated to donate because of what they're seeing, but after a while, the media is going to stop focusing on it, and the ripple effect that is caused by this devastation will not go away for years. If you can think about um, the thousands of lives that have been lost, you can think about um, businesses and livelihoods that have that are gone, people who are in debt because they bought products, um, and 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 in hopes of, like, for example, selling. And, and, and if you can think about they have no products left, or you can think about a, a person who was the breadwinner of the family, and that person passed away, and are right now that family is 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 essentially left with nothing after a while those funds that people are donating there will dry out and and these people are, are left with nothing so to put it in perspective it's very hard to imagine the situation that people are in and that will continue to be in for years to come so um the request from in the field was, please do not forget that these are real people and behind every death is a family and behind every family is a story and behind every story is years of a, a devastations that will continue to ripple through.
1: Mm. So uh, I also wonder what you make of uh, this region and its ties to Syria. The number of people who have chosen to leave Syria or or were driven out of Syria uh who who come here uh should we be prepared for more folks to to want to wanna come to our region and what should we do to prepare for that
0: so yes current in the last few years um since 2012 there has been an influx of syrian refugees in this region um they have uh thankfully been able to rebuild their lives and and um and to think that many people who were not able to leave, that built their lives inside uh, Syria or inside Turkey elsewhere, and 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 then they had to leave uh, everything behind again after an earthquake destroyed everything that they spent the last uh, 10 years, 13, 11 years building, um, is just a major catastrophe. Um, I am I, I am sure that the UN and other um, uh, Agencies will now work on expediting um paperwork for whoever's um in line to to get here based on what had recently happened so uh in that regard we we might see um an influx uh, another um wave if you will of people coming in. That's a big possibility, but until now it's not very clear um but i I would say I would say right now the focus should be on the people that are internally displaced again in in those regions mm-hmm. and and maybe we can figure out how we can help out the refugees that do arrive uh, after we start hearing more reports because as i said it's not very clear right now yeah
1: yeah uh, i wonder if uh, personally you know of people who are uh, uh, thinking of leaving rather than staying through all of this in, in Syria?
0: Well, if, if it were up to the people inside Syria, of course they'd, be, they'd love to, to, to leave uh, a horrible situation behind and, and try to build, rebuild in a country that they feel like would be more stable and, and in the long run can help them um, continue living a life that's uh, of better quality in a country that they, they feel can help them do that um i do know if you ask anyone if you ask anyone on the ground they they would all love to be in a better place mm. um and uh honestly right now i think most people are not thinking of anything besides survival they're still homeless they're yeah. still so at the moment, if you talk to anyone right now, it, 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 they're looking for loved ones. They're 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 searching hospitals and they're searching under the rubble. There are people still standing outside of buildings, looking for their loved ones. So at the moment, I don't I don't that's think that's where the um, focus is. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, uh, Abdul Rahman Al Dahan. It was really great to have you here, and uh, we want to thank you, of course, for the work that you're doing. Uh, to bring relief to people in Syria. Thanks thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when uh, we are going to unpack research into what makes a good life. We're going to talk with psychiatrist Robert Waldinger and psychologist Mark Schultz. Uh, this is 1019 WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, and our student producer is Taylor Davis. Detroit Today's wonderful music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll talk again tomorrow.